God, it just isn't fair. Shana Tova. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of September 20th, 2020 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. Is God fair? Jesus tells us the parable of the vineyard workers to clarify the matter for us. Join Rev. David Pelegi as he explores this short story about God's grace and how we should respond to it. You may have noticed we recently uploaded a talk by Aaron Imey on the Feast of Trumpets. Look for talks on Yom Kippur and Sukkot this week and next. Remember to subscribe to get alerted to our most recent teachings. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. May you be inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life. It says the collect to pray a prayer we will pray all together tonight. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, come grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10, through to chapter 4, verse 11. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, For it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it till he might see what would happen of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? and much livestock? 
In keeping with the practice of centuries, we stand for the reading of God's revealed word. Tonight, our gospel reading is taken from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. So he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day? But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good. So the last will be first, and the first will be last, for many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. End of uh, Rosh Hashanah, the two-day Jewish festival uh, of the new year. It is a festival that really strongly emphasizes God's kingship the, the kingdom of God, and it's also a festival that uh, prepares one for judgment. And our passage today, uh, or passages, first from Jonah and then from the Gospel of Matthew, may not at, uh, on the surface seem to be uh, relevant to the holiday, but actually I think it is, especially uh, as the book of Jonah talks about God's generous, extravagant mercy and his extravagant grace. And the uh, gospel passage uh, begins with uh, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. But before we do that, let me just um, mention a few things that the parable uh, that we're about to uh, discuss, I, I think is... It's an ingenious parable, 
Uh, it's incredibly brilliant because as Jesus does so well, he takes um, images from everyday life, puts interesting characters into the, the, these uh, scenes. Yes, we have a good Samaritan. We have a father who humiliates himself by running out to be reconciled to his son. We have an ungrateful older brother. We have, in our parable, a generous, generous landlord who does not seem to be or seem all that interested in profit and loss. And so these interesting characters and these brilliant short stories told by Jesus always uh, bring to us some kind of twist or some kind of shock. So while they're very ordinary and very, they feel very familiar, there's almost always with these stories, yes, which are told by Jesus to illustrate something about the nature or character of God or uh, <clears throat> the kingship of God, there's something about these stories that startle us. But with that said, let's just mention before we even begin that we should not uh, read this parable as so many commentators have done in the past. We need to remember that Jesus, the Jew, is talking to other Jews. This is not a parable that reflects the concerns of the Reformation. This is not about works and grace, although there, this is about grace without, without question. But it's not a 16th century concern. This is not something about the, the nature of the law being burdensome and the grace that Jesus gives being uh, freedom in one way uh, or the other. Again, Jesus and his Jewish contemporaries did not uh, think in that way. It's not about Christianity versus Judaism. I'd like to re remind everyone of the, of the simple reality that when this gospel was written uh, by Jewish believers for Jewish believers, there was no such thing as Christianity or, um, or the church. So then how should we read this parable? Well, Let's begin with the, probably the simplest and yet still a profound, profound understanding of the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. And then he ta starts to talk to us, or starts to tell us about an owner of a vineyard. Now this, the owner of this vineyard, um, of course, we identify that owner as God. And oftentimes in the story, we don't really connect with the, with the landowner. We can more easily, and perhaps rightly so, identify with the laborers, especially those who complain for not being paid a fair wage. And so we should perhaps ask ourselves, what is it about the, the owner of the vineyard, yes, that we should identify with? And it's, I don't think it's very complicated. This, the, owner of this, the owner of this vineyard is generous. He's merciful. He, he's 
um, concern to provide for the poor and those who somehow miss out or don't have uh, necessarily the opportunities. And by the way, he does it in a way that preserves people's dignity. Yes, he's not, he doesn't simply give money to people, he gives them work. And the landowner here, the vineyard owner, he has uh, what Jesus would call, or Jewish people called then and still call now, he has a good eye. He doesn't have an evil eye. In verse 15, he says to, um, very interesting, in verse 15 of, uh, of, the, of the chapter, he says, says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? I think most of us would say, of course you do. And then he goes on to say, are you envious because I am generous? And literally, the Greek says, do you have an evil eye? Do you have an evil eye? Yes, and we, I think those of us who know the scripture, or certainly those of us who know Jewish culture, or even the teachings of Jesus uh, in Matthew 6, 22 and 23, we should know, yes, that to have an evil eye means that we are stingy, begrudging, and envious. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 6, if you have an evil eye, not if there's something wrong with your eyesight and you need to see the ophthalmologist or you need new contact lenses. It's actually how some Bible trans, uh, some folks uh, uh, interpret. But the chapter 6 or that part of chapter 6 of Matthew is talking about money. Yes, or it's talking about um, worrying about uh, our future and and worrying about who's going to provide and care for our needs. So to have an evil eye is to be stingy or to be envious. But Jesus says, if you have a good eye, yes, your whole body will be full of light. What is a good eye? To be generous. Even today in Israel, people will come to the door, they'll knock on your door, and they'll say, please give to the cancer fund or give to this charity or that charity and please give with an ein yafa. Please give with a beautiful eye. Same as a good eye. Please give generously to this cause that I'm collecting for. And so the owner is generous. Yes. The owner is generous and he's a model He should be a model for all of us in the way that we use our resources and use our wealth to help those who are are desperate and are in need. I think a lot of people might say, well, I'm not very wealthy. I don't know what to do. Uh, Most people listening to this broadcast or sitting here, we may be broke, but we're not poor. And we do have resources. And the question is, how are we using those resources And are we generous with those resources? This is what life looks like in the the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's another way of reading the parable. And the other way of reading the parable 
is, hey, it's not too late to get started. It's never too late to begin, yes, to work, yes, on behalf or to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, yes, uh, to extend or to advance the kingdom of heaven, to bring God's control, to bring God's ruling and reigning into the lives of others, into the lives of people, into the lives of a family, into the lives of a community. There's a lot of people who may be retired and who may think, well, I don't have much money, I don't, my health isn't so good, uh, or people who may, have, who may have misused much of their life, much of their talents. And uh, many people say, well, I'm kind of at the end. Or maybe I don't have resources, or I don't have, uh, I don't have any money, whatever, to give. But here I think Jesus is saying, hey, start now. Start now. There's always in the teaching and preaching of Jesus when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, he is urgent about kingdom business. There is this urgency. Let's get started and let's get started now. We saw that uh, earlier in the year when we read uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus says, you know, pray that people go Uh, that workers go out into the harvest field. And why did Jesus say that? Because he looked upon people and saw that they were lost and confused. They didn't have any direction, yes? And they needed to hear this message and they needed to submit to his kingship and allow him to start um, bringing healing and restoration and transformation to their lives and the lives of their community. Let's do it now. And even if you start late, you know, the old saying, better late than never applies here. And with late starters, as well as early starters, there is a reward. And by the way, we should all want a reward. We should all be careful who we want the reward from. Because if we take an, we take award, a reward, so, sorry, from uh, the society around us or from people or from friends or our family. That's a, those, those are the rewards that don't last. But hopefully we want God to reward us. And those rewards come to us in this life and in the life to come. And here I think Jesus is saying, yeah, it's not how much you do, yes, but it's whether we're going to be obedient, whether we're going to take a chance. And when I think of this, I think of those workers who are standing there all day doing nothing. And they're not standing there doing nothing because they're lazy. They're standing there doing nothing because no one has come to hire them. They could have easily gone home after the sixth hour and said, hey, it's no use. But they persevered, and even at the last hour, yes, they get hired and they get rewarded. So if you're listening to this, yes, and you haven't quite started, you haven't put your hand to the plow, 
Yes, you haven't entered, uh, started to become, as Paul would call it, a co-laborer with God or a partner with God and uh, in his work. Yes, and in the, uh, using the gifts the Lord has, has given you. Now is the time to start knowing that God is fair and just and merciful and will indeed reward us. By the way, there's not only, as we said last week, there's a carrot and a stick. There's not only a, a carrot in all of this, yes, having God's blessing, knowing his presence, uh, etc. At the end of the day, we will also be judged by what he has given us and how we use it. That's another parable. This is a parable of the talents. So you might say there's a bit of a paradox in here. On one hand, there's lots of extravagant, uh, undeserved grace. So it's all by grace. And yet on the other hand, we'll be judged and held accountable, yes, for what we did with that grace, for how we responded to what God has given us, how we responded to his mercy. Which really brings us to the third point. I guess this is a three-point sermon. I try to avoid them. I try to have 18, 19, 20-point sermons um, so that people have to listen to them three or four times in order to, um, to understand them. But what is, what is the obvious in all of this? The obvious is how we respond not only to the grace that God gives us, or the mercy that he gives us, or the blessing that he gives us, but how do we respond to the mercy and blessing and grace that he gives other people? Now here it gets kind of tricky, and here it gets kind of deep, because last week we talked about not forgiving people. And obviously when we have a grudge, Well, when we have certain bitterness against folks, you know, we we know it. It's not so hidden, generally. But when we're envious or even jealous, it's a lot more subtle. It's very subtle. And we can resent other people for for being, for uh, receiving good things from God And we can easily resent God himself, which is, by the way, spiritually dangerous on both accounts. Yes, whether we're resenting people or whether we're resenting God. And so all of the questions come up, yes, why do they have such a good marriage and I don't? Why can't I have children? Yes, why do they, you know, you know, get to go skiing in Switzerland twice a year. Oh, maybe once a year. Maybe they go water skiing in the south of France. Why didn't I get such straight teeth? And look at my body shape, God. And why am I so poor? And other people in my fellowship are doing so well. In fact, why are they, all of the sinners, you know, and the wicked in my office, why are they prospering? What are you doing to me? 
And it goes on and on and on. And by the way, it's not simply about, it's not always personal. There can be kind of an ethnic envy where one ethnic group is uh, envious or bitter towards another. Or it could be ideological or racial. Or it could be uh, on a large economic scale. What is Marxism, which is making a comeback in our day and age? It's it's class envy. It is class envy. I mean, I'm I'm envious of you because you have something I don't. And of course, all of this is extremely, extremely destructive. And so, really... The question is, are we offended by God's grace and God's generosity? Because if we are, it would be very ironic. Because that same God, or that same landowner, who was fair and just with those workers who went out early in the morning, yes, was also generous, but perhaps not fair, with those who went at the 11th hour. The same God that gives us grace and is merciful to us and is forgiving towards us, yes, is the same God that blesses other people. But he blesses them sometimes in different ways. And again, the issue is, are we jealous? Are we envious? Because both are extremely dangerous and very, very, very destructive. And maybe the basis sometimes of this is a certain pride. I deserve more. I deserve more than the next person. Or sometimes there's a certain self-hatred or inability to accept ourselves in the way that God made us. And consequently, either one of these can get in the way Yes, of God's work in our life and of God's healing. Now, as I said, a lot of times these are very small sins. Excuse me. These are very small sins and we don't think they're very important. But I would beg to disagree, you know, with that assessment. First and foremost, Jesus himself is always, you might say, focusing or frequently focusing on the, these so-called small sins, the so-called sins that, uh, uh, that people can't necessarily see in us. Yes. And for Jesus, pride or stinginess or envy is just as dangerous Perhaps it doesn't have the same consequences, but just as dangerous as adultery or bank robbing. And as we talked about last week, even small things like refusing to forgive our neighbor, loving our neighbor, forgiving our neighbor, forgiving our enemy, has, has dire consequences for our relationship with the Lord. So we often push these things down 
we often don't, times don't uh, like uh, to admit it. But I'd like to just point out a few ways, yes, in which this kind of envy or this kind of jealousy or begrudging God's grace in the life of others actually hurts us. And I like to start uh, in the book of Numbers because in the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers should be a leadership manual, yes, because poor Moses uh, is under constant constant challenge uh, by the people. And when we're in chapter 12, it says Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of the Cushite wife that he had married. Seems like maybe it's some gossip. Perhaps they didn't like her color because to be Cushite is to be be black. Uh, It says, and then here comes the real issue, perhaps. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? I mean, why has God given him gifts? Gifts of the spirit or gifts of this, and God hasn't given me. Well, he has given me. I just want to show you, you know. Why why does so-and-so get all the glory or the attention? Yeah, again, what about me? Which is a pride issue. And so the Lord does the following. He summons, yes, Miriam and Aaron. He says, come to the tent of meeting along with Moses. And then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. Okay, that stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And they both stepped forward and he said, listen to my words. And he goes on to talk about Moses and his humility. And then it says the anger of the Lord, this is verse nine, I think. Anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. The presence of the Lord left Why? Because of that little sin, envy and jealousy. The presence of the Lord left because of it. And I was, I just looked up envy in the New Testament. And there are so many verses. There's so many warnings against envy. Yes, and how, and it's, and it's destructive nature spiritually and otherwise. So in Galatians chapter 5, it talks, there's a whole list of sin of people who will not inherit. Yes, people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And one one of those uh, lifestyles that's going to keep people uh, from inheriting um, the kingdom of heaven, and let me, let me read it to you. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Oh, who thought envy was all that serious? It says, I warn you, 
as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So there's the spirit. But then there's practical everyday consequences. And uh, here James, at the end of chapter 3, says the following. He says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have there you find disorder or dysfunction and every evil practice. Every evil practice. By the way, Proverbs, um, Proverbs 24, is it not? That says... The, that envy rots our bones. Envy rots our bones. It eats us alive from within. It dis, it's destructive on every level. And as I mentioned on Wednesday, one of the biggest factors of keeping alcoholics yeah, from coming clean, is that so many of them have an overriding sense of resentment. Yeah, life hasn't been fair to them. And they've been drinking from life's bitter pool. Life has treated other people so much better. And so what's the solution for all this? Maybe even... What's the solution for all this? The solution, I believe, is really a deeper repentance to examine our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to bring up, yes, to be, to really to help us to be honest, you know, where we are actually, where we're envious, where we really can't accept ourselves. And here I'm not talking about uh, sin, you know, I, I, I was born this way, so, you know, I, I can't help, I can't control, you know, my, uh, my love for, for dope or my love for drink, whatever it might be. And I'm not talking about accepting being in some kind of a abusive or dysfunctional situation. Yes. But basically the way that uh, God made us and, and who we are. And so more often than not, until that part is healed in us, until that part is healed in us, we will have a very, very difficult time getting over envy. But it has to start with repentance. It has to, we have to let the Holy Spirit search our hearts. And just as we last week talked about the need for forgiving others, Yes, we need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive those who we resent. And we need to, in a way, forgive God. Yes, for dealing, yes, us, what we think is some kind of um, bad hand. Yes, or or giving us a a raw deal in life. And by the way, this is so deep. It's so much part of human, human society. 
You know, this, the envy and the desire to have what we can't have or the desire to have what other people have simply because other people have it, it is at the foundation of who we are as human beings. Yes, and that needs to be redeemed by the cross. Yes, by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if you think about it for a minute, this envy starts in the garden when the serpent comes to Eve and says, you know, God's holding back on you. And Eve says, yeah, you know, you know, uh, I, I want to be like him. And uh, continues with uh, Cain and Abel and the whole family life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is nothing but jealousy and envy and division and fighting. And that becomes the foundation of, and and as I said before, it's not just, this is not just a message about uh, us as individuals. Whole families can be chewed up and destroyed by envy. Whole communities can be destroyed by envy. Nations can be destroyed by envy. And so it's dangerous on not only the individual level, but on, you know, spiritually speaking, on, you know, a national, a national level. And so we, again, repent after the Spirit searches our hearts and we learn to listen to the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord who will speak to us yes, and inform us and bring healing to us, healing from this envy and jealousy. I'm reminded, I believe, of Proverbs 4.20. Incline my ear, it says. Incline my ear, sorry, incline your ear to me and I will heal you. My words will bring you healing. So it's listening to the Lord practicing his presence and then learning to express gratitude. Yes, in all situations, learning to praise the Lord. This will bring healing, yes, to those, to that, uh, those destructive patterns of envy and jealousy. And it will allow us, yeah, to appreciate, yeah, God's grace and what he's done, not only for us, but we can cheer, jump up and down when he does wonderful things in the lives of others. Father in heaven, we pray that you will enable us to forgive, that you will, uh, that in each one of us this resentment or this bitterness or somehow this uh, hostility towards others and even towards you for being what we think is not fair to us will come to the surface. And we pray that you will bring healing to us as we listen to your words, as you speak to us through the scripture and uh, in other ways. We ask that uh, your community, your kingdom movement, those who call you king, yes, can walk and live before you without jealousy and without envy, always rejoicing in what you do for others. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.